This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for November 10th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen. On today's show, we're getting ready for the Dota 2 Frankfurt Major group stage, where the best teams in the world will meet once again under very different circumstances from the international. But first, we witnessed the end of Heart of the Swarm era StarCraft with one of the best finals of the year, if not in the history of StarCraft Majors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and probably the biggest story going into this final was simply the fact that the most dominant player in the world right now, uh, Innovation, it wasn't in it. Um, and that was really just a shock to everybody because he was so hyped up coming into this event. He was just like, the casters kept saying like, oh my God, this guy's a machine. It's, it's innovation. He's the best in the world. And by the way, if you followed Star Trek for more than a couple of years, you've heard that refrain a couple of times before, and it never seems to pan out the way people think it will. Uh, but so innovation fell uh, to life, uh, who would go to be a finalist after that. Um, and, you know, like even though that match, that match innovation versus life was in the round of eight. Uh, it almost felt like a semifinal because it was just so important. And we should take some time here before we get to talk about the final to talk about like what what the heck happened to innovation right there. You know what do you what did what did you see in that match? What did what did it, what happened to innovation? Yeah, well, first of all, just to just to respond to your remark about it feeling like a semifinal, uh, I was I was there. I was at BlizzCon, mm. and it absolutely did. Mm -hmm. Like it was like that arena hit capacity uh, for life versus innovation. There were not many seats left when I was in there, which is which was a night and day difference from anything I saw going on last year, uh, until like the the very finals with like Life and Teja. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so I mean, people obviously were really hyped for this match, and I think it lived up to the billing. And you know, I have to say, uh, <sighs> while I was watching Life uh, win win that match, you know, my first reaction I think was was to think like, "Yep, here we go, like another innovation choke." That dude is so overrated. <laughs> but having thought a little more about it, I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, Interesting. Players are, there are so many different types of StarCraft player, and that means they will all shine un, under different circumstances. And I think innovation is, you know, it, it, it kind of his name is kind of destiny, right? Like innovation <laughs> is someone who comes up with, uh, he, you know, new builds and then polishes existing builds. He he's a very he likes standard play a lot. He's he's really really efficient with mech play. Uh, mm -hmm. one of the best mech players in, yeah. you know in the world, and I think that means that innovation will always go through these phases where he's the heavy favorite, where he's the the best player in the world that nobody can stop him. And that's because, you know, when you're sort of ahead of the curve on uh, sort of refining standard play, that means you're going to have these long runs where just nobody can really stop you because you're so efficient at it. You're so good at just sort of sure, yeah. brushing aside the cheese and you'll keep, uh, you know, you, you'll keep getting good results, especially if the meta is in your favor. But eventually... That also makes you a little bit predictable. People start to figure out not just your build, but also just what your reactions tend to be, right? Because he's still, like, innovation is still kind of playing from a script. And I think that's what kind of happened here. Life is a very different sort of player. Like, innovation uh, innovation is sort of your your book smart StarCraft player. Sure, And sure. life is street smart. Life, life is <laughs> a game day good. player. And so, yeah. like, innovation, here's, here's the thing. Innovation plays the game. Life plays the man. Yep. And if life has enough time to observe the man, he will do to innovation 
uh, what we saw this weekend, what we've seen life do to so many great StarCraft players in the past. Yeah, and and it's really frustrating to me because I, um, you know, I came into StarCraft II, I played Terran for like two years, and I was like an unabashed Terran fanboy for the longest time. That's and why so we're friends, friends, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, and, and so, like, um, when I would watch players like Innovation, it, it would always be so frustrating to me because there's sort of like this smugness to top level Terran play that I that I, that I certainly see as a, as a as a former Terran player where they simply believe that Terran played perfectly is unassailable and so if they are playing Terran perfectly then then nothing can harm them and that is the way that innovation and also one of my other like former favorite players Flash used to play where they they play these styles where they don't even bother to scout the other player because they believe that it doesn't matter what the other player is doing. I am like the, the mighty force. That player is going to have to respond to what I am doing. He, he should be scouting me, not the other way around. And that's what I see innovation doing. And so like I went back and like specifically watched the VODs of this series to see how innovation scouted. And it's just it's it, he does scout in two of the games, but it's very, very like cursory like he takes like a little bit of a poke he sees like okay you expanded that that's all he takes a look at and he doesn't rigorously try to investigate what life is doing and i really think like what you had said like life takes advantage of the other players inadequacies and blows them up and and like writes them large on the wall so everybody can see it and that's what he really did here is what i kept seeing over and over again is life would win with these huge early mid-game attacks that innovation just wasn't scouting and if he had scouted he would have been prepared for and probably won those games so i just want to i want to dive in there i think that i think that happened in game two where where life uh, basically busts Innovation's natural very early uh, <laughs> while Innovation basically has it undefended. He has the bunker build, he has the wall up, but there's no there's no Marines to hold it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a Potemkin wall in. Uh, and, and life breaks through it, and, and that's pretty much the end of the story. But I think that game three for me was the, was the pivotal game because that's one of those cases where I feel so bad for Innovation because I still actually think he did most things right. It's just... He couldn't have foreseen what was about to happen. So if you watch Game 3, and, and there will be a link to this uh, in the in the show notes on, on the forums, and uh, we'll probably also put it out there on Twitter because it's so good. Yeah. Uh, but Game 3, he detects that Life is going to try to do a repeat, another bust of the natural, uh, send in Banelings, send in Zerglings, hit the worker line, and devastate the economy early in the game and close it out quickly. And so innovation handles it really perfectly and really conservatively. Like he evacuates the base before the attack ever comes through, uh, and is just waiting there with his army. And so life's attack, you know, goes off without a hitch, but it hits nothing. It, it fizzles, and then innovation starts to move up for counterattack. Mm-hmm. And he sees he does spot that life had a second group of zerglings coming for a follow up attack. He chases them off with his hellions, and then he continues. Then he continues with his aggression. So he stopped the initial attack. Then he spotted the follow-up attack. So naturally now, he like there can't be anything, right? So life has to be on the defensive. So he keeps pushing so he can take advantage of his moment. What he hasn't counted on is that life just doesn't care. Life has... <laughs> that second group of Zerglings is rotating uh, counterclockwise uh, you know, across the map after they've been chased off. But there's actually a third group of Zerglings also coming in from the <laughs> left side of the map. And it's even bigger. 
And yeah. so just as innovation's uh, counterattack has crossed this point of no return and are starting to push into life's uh, base for what was going to be just a, a you know a light a bit of light pressure uh, to sort of f- force life back on its heels and punish him for that early game stuff, just as that's happening, life comes pouring into the freshly resaturated natural <laughs> of innovation with this huge mob of zerglings, and that is something like. Innovation had the right timing. He even looked for follow-up attacks. Uh, but what he just didn't count on was that life was going to say, you know what, I'm not even going to bother defending my base. Like, here's how I'm going to beat you. I'm going to send in a third attack to, to get you. Yeah, and that, it, was, it was beautiful. It, it is beautiful. And like that's what I wanted to really focus on for just a minute here. Because like, you can like recount the, the moment-to-moment, blow-by-blow of that play and not really touch on just how magnificent of a tactical maneuver that is by life and this is what he's known for this is what life does is he is he counterattacks and and he's able to do that like it sounds so simple like yo you counterattack or you you jab and then you parry and then you thrust again like that's how you how you how you win a fight but what life does as i i've heard it referred to before is that as life knows where his opponent is looking on the map where his screen is centered so he somehow he has this intuition where he knows where the enemy is looking and so that he can move things around and attack in different in different areas through different pathways that no one will ever be able to see and and it's it's really magnificent to watch and it really comes back again to what you had said earlier about about life playing the man and innovation going by the book because if you know you're playing against a guy like life who is famous for these kinds of attacks, you should probably prepare for that. But innovation doesn't because it comes back to that sort of terror and smugness where he says, like, if I charge in there with my army, the Zerg will be forced to respond and counter and counter the attack like and try to get a, a surround on my army with all of their forces. They'll have to respond that way. But he doesn't. And life doesn't just doesn't, like you said, doesn't care. He's going to play however he thinks he can eke out a small advantage. Like, this is what life does. He he studies and studies and studies until he finds that one tiny crack in your armor. And then he just like, just like sticks a crowbar in it and just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing until it busts wide open. Yeah. And when you see innovation, try to match that sort of like unpredictable play, uh, you get a result like game four, right? Where, where innovation yeah. is like, mm-hmm. I'll bet life will never see this coming. <laughs> and ends up, it's, it's this depressing, like innovation trying to do an impression of life using a thor this forlorn thor aboard a aboard a medevac and it was like the moment that happened you knew the series was over right so yeah like we had said innovation is kind of this like hyper standard player and so in game four he goes for this really cheeky thor drop strategy where you build this very expensive high-tech unit called a thor and it looks like this big giant battle tech mech and you build a drop ship and you can basically fly it right into the enemy base and it used to be really popular in like 2010 or 2011 because it's pretty bizarre and nobody knows exactly how to nobody knew at the time like exactly how to deal with that uh but nowadays it's 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 quaint it's absolutely quaint to see this done again. And almost instantly when he does it, you can almost feel him realize, oh my God, this is why people don't do this anymore because life is defending this thing perfectly. He's not even breaking a sweat. Well, also, I, he, like, Innovation didn't even know where to send it. Like, yeah. he, like it's not just that life, <laughs> like, defended it perfectly. It's that Innovation, like, didn't seem comfortable, like, with the route. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like, how do I, like, how do I fly Medivax in anymore? <laughs> like, how do you... How do you sneak these around the map? And yeah. so it was just a sad like it was like watching your it was like watching your Uber circle the block like five times, right? And it's like nope, <laughs> still here, nope, but not here, nope. 
turn right there. Oh, okay, I guess we'll just cancel this. Right. And, and that's kind of what happened. So eventually life does come out the victor in that in a three to one victory. And then he fought through classic uh, as well, a very tough uh, Protoss player. Uh, in the semifinals and he got to face SOS in the finals and this is really like this is the match that people are going to be talking about for years to come because it was two BlizzCon champions SOS has won I believe you SOS won in 2013 life won in 2014 and this was like the showdown between the two former champions and it was just an unbelievable best of seven that went, went all the way to the rubber match and everybody was watching this this was like one of the few times in recent memory where like Twitter was kind of buzzing with talk about StarCraft and the, the Twitch numbers were over like I want to say it was like 120,000 concurrent viewers which are numbers that StarCraft hasn't hit since 2011 or 2012 it's really it was really amazing to see yeah and uh you know I I, I had to watch that entire uh final from basically standing room only in the balcony and by the time the first game had started they were closed they were turning people away from the venue uh, so it was really just a, just a ridiculous uh, energy level there, and for good reason. Like you said, this is you know this was life having a chance to defend his world title, uh, which I'm not sure has ever happened in, in StarCraft. Someone actually making it to the final to de- to defend their uh, de- to defend their championship. But then also, you know, when we're talking about that dichotomy of of, of players who can sort of adapt uh, to sort of non-standard play, can sort of play off book play the man not the game mm-hmm. i feel like that this matchup was like a clash of the two greatest practitioners yep. of that art in starcraft today and my one worry heading into this was that sos was going to do what we've seen him do so many times uh which is just you know open with some early exploitative cheese attacks right get the other player to you know start looking over his shoulder and it would turn into yet another sort of high profile uh psychological collapse uh, right. by sure. by an opponent of SOSs uh but that's but that's not what happened here because it it was sort of the 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 dream outcome both these players are so canny and and so good at adapting to uh really unpredictable openings that where a lot of these games would have been these really quick uh sort of one and done uh, you know, openings against more standard players. Right. Yeah. SOS and Life were taking these things, uh, you know, out of impossible situations into these really fascinating mid games, and uh, it was, it it was a sheer joy to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's that was kind of the story of this, which was almost every game, either Life or SOS, opened up with some sort of cheeky attack that was that was kind of almost all in a little bit and then it, it, it would it would experience like modest success and they, the game would kind of balance out and have to go in this weird directions where starcraft games don't usually go into there's this idea of like standard play that we talk about a lot in starcraft where a match kind of kind of goes according to a playbook where the where players expand at predictable times and create a powerful army at predictable times and then they both clash with these maxed out armies um and that was like the exact opposite of what happened here, where every single game something weird happened, and both players were were forced to constantly be scouting and adapting to what what each other were doing, and it and it kept leading to these 
fascinating tactical engagements where over and over again they would they would clash with their with their relatively small armies and the fight would last like three minutes long like normally a starcraft battle lasts about 10 seconds before one side is forced to retreat but in in these cases they would just keep reinforcing keep reinforcing and just clash against each other keep vying for position keep trying to get the uh the better uh the better encirclement upon the enemy It, it was just it was so much fun to watch yeah, and uh, I think the only game that sort of went according to plan was probably the first one where where SOS opens with a cannon rush and uh, life never really uh, gets on its feet after that. But but after that, it turned into this really, um, you know, I- impossible StarCraft acrobatics, uh, basically, as these, guys, as these guys traded games. And it, it was, um, you know, there, there were so many dramatic moments. There, there was this point where... Uh, like the the match had been really recl- I, I want to say this was also a game three. Uh, no, I think it was game four, uh, where the match was very very close and life was fighting desperately uh, with with this with this ground army against Protoss and Pro- like SOS had finally managed to basically kill off life's an- entire ground army and was preparing for a counterattack and it was one of the best cases of like dramatic observing that I've ever seen because mm. right as the ground army dies um and SOS moves out the camera for the first time cuts to this massive flock of mutilists <laughs> that life has been preparing behind this attack uh and the moment you see it you know the game is over. Like the entire crowd, like because you know. And if you're watching it, if you're watching it on uh, stream, you're probably able to see the production bar. So you knew the mutilists were in, were were in the works. I'm watching it from you know the back of the arena. Basically, uh, I need a new glasses prescription, I guess, because I never made out <laughs> that that the mutas were on the way. Uh, I certainly hoped that something was on the way, uh, but it was this it was this magic moment right of really like the was. quintessential like zerg tech switch like okay like i kept giving you my right kept giving my right here comes the left yeah. and uh, <laughs> it was it was fantastic and i well, i feel like the the most maybe with the exception of the last game i feel like the most dramatic saves were life's uh, cuz that game 6 life should have been done and out like it r- literally came down to a split second on a warp prism Oh, oh gosh, I, I completely forgot about that. That was that was one of the most climactic and beautiful moments I've ever seen in a StarCraft final before, where SOS is is literally inside the base of life with this almost unbeatable army, and he's using this mo- sort of like mobile warp-in unit where you, you deploy it, and then you can warp in all the Protoss units. But it takes about 10 seconds for those units to get there. And if the other player is able to destroy uh, this warp prism, before those units are able to get in, all those units die. And so everybody's watching this as all of a sudden life changes his targeting and starts trying to take down this warp prism while these units are, are warping in. They're almost there. It's like a quarter of a second away. And he takes the thing down and they all explode. And all of a sudden the entire crowd, everybody on Twitch realizes like, oh my God, this moment where life was about to be completely crushed, it's actually his game to lose now. There's a huge momentum switch and it was, oh man, that was so much fun to watch. That was, that was really, to me, the story of this whole final was not just that it was great, uh, great competition, but somehow it was really great 
uh, spectator-based competition. Like, this was specifically fun stuff to watch. Like, I talked about those engagements that kept going back and forth where you could understand as the viewer how the tactical position, the the, the positioning on the map of these armies played out. Um you could you could understand like you had said when the mutas start, when the, the flying units uh, fly in and you understand that life is now in the game now life now is in control of the game when you watch half of the Protoss army blow up all at once because life is able to take down this this warp prism these are climactic beautiful moments to watch as a spectator yeah but there was a lot there for um you know if you've been watching these players for a while and and watching StarCraft as well like it's one of those things your enjoyment is deepened for for knowing the game like uh just little things like life uh blowing a strategy with a with a bad zergling rally mm-hmm. uh in game 3 I, I want to say where where he uh you know he, he he's basically going he's basically fencing with uh with with SOS and trying to trying to conceal the fact that he's he's preparing uh a, a follow on attack and he just he just misrallies some zerglings and SOS spots it. And no, you know, I mean, it's one of those little things, right? Like the difference between seeing six zerglings and then, you know, seven and eight appear, yeah. <laughs> uh, that changes the the complexion of the game. You, you, you know, and you Absolutely. know, at that moment it, it's over or like when SOS does something completely crazy, uh, like, rushes a tempest onto the battlefield and get and, it, and it's so weird this is this is one of those weird moments right it was so unconventional for the first time you see life just have no idea what to do with something uh where he's like i guess i'll just i'll build a bunch of corruptors yeah uh and and it costs him the game but but you know and it culminates in this in this amazing uh in in this amazing game seven where uh I really thought that life had it. Like you could feel SOS breaking. Like mm-hmm. life is just hammering him down with just these waves of burgling, uh, uh, of banelings and zerglings, and uh, SOS is like you know second base is starting to collapse. The the nexus actually goes down at one point, and it feels like this is life's game. This is life's game. But it's almost like uh, a Roadrunner cartoon, right? Where life is wily e. coyote, <laughs> and he's actually. You know, he, it still looks like he's going really fast, but he's actually run straight off the cliff, and he's just like treading, you know, treading on air at this point. And there's this moment where eventually, like all at once, like life and everyone in the audience suddenly looks down and realizes, you know, like somehow life has managed to lose this despite winning every fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this that game seven, so every every game of this series traded winners so sos one life one sos one life one sos one life one and so it comes down to this game seven and really like everybody could have watched these guys play all night it could have been a best of 15 and nobody would have complained and and so it comes down to this best of seven and the concern that i had was that it was just going to be a coincidence that they traded matches <laughs> until sos won the seventh one whereas they could have continued trading matches up, up for the next 20 games and that would that wouldn't have been great but then we come down to this best of seven Seven, and there's like there's no way to explain this like i, I really encourage you all uh, to go ahead and check out the vods of this series because it, it was one of the best starcraft series i've seen in a long time but there's no way to explain it but like sos just earns it right in that in that, that final comeback in, in game seven he just puts down a flag and says like no we're not trading games i won this series i was the better player here and it, and it was just just a a great way to go out for heart of the swarm as this was actually the last match that we're ever going to see in heart of the swarm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me personally, like SOS has never been a favorite player of mine because I feel like so many times he's, um, 
kind of cheesed his way to to major victories and sort of beaten players who I think were more interesting and perhaps better, uh, you know, mm-hmm. over the long haul. But, you know, that game seven kind of answered a lot of questions I had about SOS, you know, where he had absolutely faced down the very best that, uh, you know, life could throw at him. And lesser players would have collapsed three or four times uh, over the course of that defense. And SOS just sort of doggedly grinds it out. And uh, you know manages to manages to pull it off, and uh, you know it was a it was a perfect way for 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 Heart of the Swarm to end, and uh, I, I really feel like it did a lot for. It's been a good year of Starcraft, I think. You and mm-hmm. I, I think if you listen oh, to yeah. these shows lately, you and I have actually been been pretty happy with the state of Starcraft over the last few months, uh, and I really hope that momentum can continue into Legacy of the Void. Certainly, uh, I, I feel like that having a finals that good uh, got a lot of people back on board and reminded people what they loved about this game. For sure, yeah. And I, and I think it's important to like re- retain the uh, the context of where StarCraft was at the end of the last version of it, which was Wings of Liberty, which was everybody was really bored. Wings of Liberty was was, people kept calling it a solved game, which is to say that there was a correct way to play it for each of the three races, and any sort of deviation from that was considered incorrect. And so Heart of the Swarm came along and introduced just all of these different strategies. It's been an evolving game, and it is still an evolving game to this day. Like, we, we saw strategies in this final series that we really have never seen on the professional stage before. And we saw life using old strategies in... in, in, in new ways these like zergling based strategies that people just don't use anymore uh and and but it's proving that they're still viable in heart of the swarm and it, it this final tournament really to me sealed the legacy of heart of the swarm and provided like a a really hard act to follow for legacy of the void and and hopefully uh it's going to be a great ride as well there's a lot I would I would say to that, but we're gonna we're gonna move on because we have some listener questions. Because uh, I, I feel like you're I I think now that Hots is dead, we are perhaps being too kind to it. Uh, but uh, let, let's let's dive into some listener questions uh, and maybe less controversial topics like uh, John Rennish asking. Any thoughts about the lack of women casters for the Frankfurt Dota 2 tournament? I'm disappointed by it. Uh, so, Andrew, while it's not an all-male set of casters for Frankfurt, uh, the only woman I see on the talent list is Sheever. Uh, so I have to say, I, I kind of get where, where John is coming from. There, there's a degree of... Uh, Sheever is fantastic, but whenever there's only one woman you know, in the room, there's, there's a little bit of concern of tokenism. And then also, there, there, is, the, there is the fact that... Um, you know, when you have these these large casting teams, these large production teams, uh, and, and you don't have a little bit uh, broader representation, there is a little bit concern whether or not there's there's an echo chamber a- effect happening there. Especially since you know there've been all these news stories lately that you know, like uh, women playing games and, and and particularly PC games have been dramatically underestimated in terms mm-hmm. of their sheer numbers uh, over the years. And, and and so I feel like right now there's a lot of evidence to suggest that like. You know, women are a bigger part of this audience than than they've gotten credit for, uh, and yet we're, we're playing catch up with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely that's absolutely clear, and it has been like this this weird thing that I don't know if anybody has figured out why it is in in esports. Like, I, it, it's a difficult thing to figure out exactly like why there aren't more women in the scene, um, and I'm not really sure. Like, I it is it is I can't say that she her is a, is a, certainly not a token 
caster like she's phenomenal she absolutely deserves to be there and, and there's no no ifs ands or buts about that i'm not really sure if i understand the issue though uh well i mean like i understand the issue that why there are, why it is upsetting that there aren't more women casters there but like i don't know if like how to solve that like how do you move forward from that and so that's like i'm not really sure where we go forward from there yeah you know i certainly for these for these big stages i can understand the hesitation for uh you know employing lesser known or, or less proven uh personalities but at the same time that you know if you know at the same time that's one reason why you end up having the same people you know appear again and again and again and, and so it'd be nice if esports could uh c- could get away from that because you know, it's, I think it's been unfortunate over the years watching traditional sports, right? That like women are almost completely uh, locked out of the commentary booth, uh, and and they exist as sideline reporters, beat reporters, uh, but but they don't get that they don't get that high profile. And with you know esports, you you would hope it, you you hope the future will look different. I guess I just I don't know the casting scene well enough. I don't know the secondary casters that are out there. I I know yeah. only the people that they put up there on the on the big stages. So oh, it's yeah. hard for me to say like why aren't they putting this person in or she does a really great job on the smaller tournament. Uh, and so like I, I don't know who else they would put in. Yeah, that's very much. I like I had the same reaction. I was reading the list and I was like, okay, but who would I put up there instead? And the answer is I have no idea because I don't follow, uh, you know, the the smaller tournament scene uh, where you right, expect that's... personalities and talent to be bubbling up. I right. just I just don't know who was who was ignored in this case. Right. It's like it, it's hard to know who to put the onus on to to give a chance to to newer people or less proven faces. And so, like, it, pointing to one tournament in particular is, is pretty difficult. We also have a couple of Overwatch related questions here. Uh, first, Corey Banks asks. Uh, Thoughts on Overwatch price versus being uh, free to play, uh, and will it affect Overwatch as an esport? Um, so yeah, I mean we can just tackle that first. Um, I actually am. I, I I don't think it matters at all whether <laughs> whether it's priced, whether it's a a base price like twenty dollars or whatever it ends up being versus free to play, because I think we've seen every style of pricing become a popular esport you can look at uh, like dota versus league of legends are two very different takes on what free to play means you can look at super street fighter 4 which is a which is a a 60 boxed game or you can look at counter strike which is a 20 dollar downloadable game and you can take any route you want to and all that matters is that the game is great and it develops a really good community and so i mean maybe you can make an argument that free-to-play games are more likely to develop that sort of critical mass of users that to support uh, a competitive scene um but given that there are examples like counter-strike and super street fighter 4 i'm not sure that it's necessarily uh fair to say that something like uh, a price tag being applied to overwatch would harm its chances as an esport yeah, I completely agree. And I think there's certain benefits that come with being a, a sort of boxed product that doesn't require on, uh, you know, lots of upsells or, or microtransactions. Uh, so I, I feel like there's I feel like there's there's a trade off and it's possibly a good one uh, that, that Blizzard have made. Yeah, absolutely. And so when they, when they did their interview, when they talked about why they made this decision, I thought that the explanation was phenomenal. And it's the best it's the best explanation that you can hope for from Blizzard in this regard. It, it's where basically they say um, that 
Overwatch doesn't necessarily work as a free-to-play game, uh, as a free-to-play competitive game, because the whole game is based around everybody having access to the same pool of characters. And so you need to be able to swap in real time in the middle of the game between all of the the different characters to, to find the hard counters to the other team's strategy. And so if you have a system like, say, League of Legends, where players only have access to a certain subset of characters, it actually kind of breaks the game and makes it really not fun. Um, and so I, I, I'm really excited that Overwatch made that decision, and I think it's going to be the best thing for it as an eSport. And uh, related to that, Josh Weston asks, uh, do you feel Overwatch will have legs as a spectator sport given the very short match times? What do you think, Rob? Uh, yeah, I absolutely think it will. I think it'll come down to competitive format, right? Like, you know, Counter-Strike ended up having a, a format that I, I think was sort of, <laughs> it, it sort of came about, via a lot of experimentation it evolved it evolved with the game because because you know the 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 classic like uh counter-strike match is is a very short thing Mm -hmm. uh it's only a few minutes of of pretty intense action uh i I think the bigger issue might be that overwatch uh may have a problem in terms of game modes uh traditionally payload in particular is a difficult type of game mode this is where you push you you push a cart basically uh (laughs) through through a level and uh, one team is basically attacking. One team is trying to drive them back. Uh, that that traditionally can be a little uh, that that puts a lot of pressure on maps to be perfectly balanced, which is a very mm-hmm. hard thing to do. On the other hand, though, uh, Overwatch has such an interesting design with so many different characters who do different things, and the ability to switch into a new character anytime, and even stuff your team with multiple copies of the same character, uh, that I, I feel that takes some of the pressure uh, off map design a little bit and makes it a little... It opens up a sort of world of strategy uh, that could make those game modes uh, really work out well. So I don't think the, sh- the match times uh, are an issue at all. I do think they will have to come up with a competitive format uh, that gives you something a little meatier to, to dig into, right? Because if it's just, you know, if, if a match is basically one side you know, plays the the red side and flips to the blue and then it's over, uh, that might not feel as, that probably won't be as satisfying as, say, uh, the Counter-Strike format. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times it's better to have very, very short match times because you want to see how two teams evolve against each other in in real time. It's like StarCraft has a pretty good model. It's about 10 minutes per match. Um, And it's one of the the frustrations that I I sometimes have with professional Dota, especially when the meta shifts to these very long 50, 60, 70 minute games, where it becomes difficult to watch how the teams are uh, parrying and respond to each, responding to each other. Whereas when you watch Counter Strike, you you see that over and over and over again, just constantly they're they're shifting their strategies to try to deal with each other. Uh, and so, like a, a very short match time, I think is potentially a great asset to Overwatch as an esport. Uh, so that covers all of esports today. So now let's turn our attention to esports tomorrow. Yeah, and this weekend we have the start of the Dota Two Frankfurt Major. And you know, thank heaven for that, uh, because I, I'm ready for this for this this weird Dota two inter major limbo. Uh, I'm ready for that to be done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been like a really weird time uh, in professional Dota two. I've been following it for probably about two two and a half years, and there's this weird energy in the Dota two air where you can feel that like the massive differential uh, between the prize pools of these of these major and not major tournaments means that teams really just don't care about the minor tournaments. Um, 
we talked a long time ago about how teams that came in like eighth place at the international had made something like 10 times as much prize money for that performance as most teams would get for winning any other tournament. So everybody just cares about the majors. There's no incentive to care about an MLG or a DreamHack anymore, uh, which is really bad for the months between the majors. Uh, but it's so much fun once the majors actually get started. Yeah, and you know, I think that actually makes this maybe even a little more interesting because you know, no one has really been sure about whether those recent results are real or not. Uh because we you know, you and I have been theorizing for for weeks that this has just been this extended preseason that you're that people are winning tournaments that fundamentally nobody really cares enough about to contest. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know, I'm always suspicious of the idea that teams can successfully sandbag or conceal their strengths uh for for very long. My inclination is to think that what we've seen since TI5 is a, a, a decent reflection of, of where the teams are at in terms of play. I, I think at a certain point, you know, the, the acting like a team that doesn't care and, and sandbagging, sure. concealing what you can really do, eventually just turns into you being a mediocre team, if, sure. if that's oh, what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would love it if we found out that one of these teams had been losing like on purpose just to try to, to put themselves in a more unexpected spot or, or uh, for the major where teams weren't preparing for them as much. I would I would just I would eat up that gamesmanship. That would be so much fun for me. And I hope that I hope that we end up seeing that. Uh, but then over in, in Counter-Strike next week, we have the Power Cup in Santa Ana, California, uh, which will sport a rather nice $100,000 prize pool. Uh, however, there's actually so much going on and CSGO this month that the team turnout will actually be very light. The heavy hitters are pretty much, uh, in this tournament, Cloud9, Team Dignitas, and Complexity, uh, none of whom have placed highly at a recent global event. Uh, but this will be a nice opportunity for some North American teams for once uh, to be able to pick up some prize money and get some practice without Fnatic or Envious showing up to ruin their day. So that concludes this week's edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode and esports in general with our community at esports.today. We also really enjoyed getting your questions and would love to get more of them, so please email us at questions at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your esports buddies about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.